0: I had this head office, uh, it was corner office, beautiful office overlooking Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. And uh, one morning I I look over to my right and I see this big explosion.
1: welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited because we don't even know each other, but we've been introduced by a dear friend of mine. So I've got Minter Dial on the the end of the line today. He is an author of three books, writing more. You seem like an overachiever, if I'm honest. You're like all over everywhere. Um, Like me, you've um, changed countries uh, around 15 times. You're a traveler and like multinational. Um, You've created a documentary film. You're a father. You like to elevate debates. You're also a podcaster, which I want to check out. Um, The Minter Dialogue is your podcast. So I'm all over that. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Petra. Pleasure to be here.
1: It's so good to have you. And I know from our little pre-chat that there's like a million and one directions we could go in Uh, I love some of the work I'm hearing that you're doing in companies around empathy, connection. Um, You're kind of leveling up so many debates about how, I guess, we can be human. Tell us a bit about what you're passionate about. How do you like to show up in the world?
0: Well, so the truth, Petra, is is I have this unbounded curiosity, which has made me try many things and be not good at anything. (laughs) So, I I mean, I, I played a competitive level of tennis. I played 18 years of rugby. I I played in a band and love music, but I'm really not the kind of you know go-to musician. Or you know I was never the the top player in any team. So I, I've enjoyed uh, trying a lot of things, on on an ongoing basis. I am passionate. I can say <laughs> my wife will tell me that it's true. Mm-hmm. That of one rock and roll band that I have seen 200 or so times out of the 800 concerts I've attended but just one band 200 times and that that's would make a reasonably good fan but i would say that's only a small fan they they played um about 2317 concerts so i only saw 2% 10% of them
1: okay so you're breaking it down by percentage um yeah, i do of- feel that that's kind of an entrepreneurial skill though that curiosity and that testing of so many things and somehow being resilient enough that when i don't know of them just crash out. That we just kind of keep going. I'm curious, what's the next thing? Something
0: like that. Well, actually, the way I break it down is I I like to do things. So I'm not just curious, I do them. So if I
1: experience it.
0: Yeah. So if I want to try a tuba, I've played a tuba. I don't play the tuba, but I've got the idea of what it takes to get to purse your lips to push through and get that sound out of the boom, 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 or a clarinet and then what's the read or that's in music. And in, in technology, you're trying out new stuff. I love Apple, but have you, have you tried the Android? And so, Oh, fruits and it's not so easy. And I should say in my past, I worked for 16 years for L'Oréal, but I also have done three startups, two of which failed me flamingly. Well. Okay. You know, Massive failures. So yeah. Picking picking yourself up, leg between you know tail between the leg, and at this point I had to actually borrow money from my mother's second husband, who I did not like, and um, and I didn't I especially didn't like having to ask for money to pay my debtors, Um, and then I had to live at home for the first time when I was 27 years old, and I hadn't lived at home since I was seven.
1: And a lot of us would relate to, like, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 isolation. All of that is kicking off. And I know many people close to me and myself as well, our businesses are on shaky ground. We might have to look for supplementary income. Like, there's a lot of panic around failure. And not just because of the outside circumstances, but because somehow it still affects how we see ourselves our own identity about what success looks like, even though effectively something on the outside, something external is affecting us in some way. So this is, I I just think it's a really relevant conversation as far as how do we bounce back when unexpected things happen.
0: But before we, sorry, I was just going to say that I think really what's fascinating about this is that unexpected things Always happen. Yes, and and what's interesting about this one is that it's such a shared unexpected story yes. around the world, and so the what ends up happening is since it's basically let's say between us anyway in terms of our network, it's 100 of everyone's lives. Yeah. So the then the real thing is how do you react to it? Uh, because it's it's the same. I mean, of course, we have different situations, and you know, some of our friends or family may be actually sick, and of course, I have a few friends who have lost their parents to covid so there are differences but yet on the balance the whole thing is all about how we react to it
1: well it is and i think there's an obsessive conversation around it as well almost as a source of trying to belong so people you know when you right. have a shared little thing and it's usually something minor perhaps a shared like we both know one person who's introduced us we could mm-hmm. like just go on that conversation to right. be like hey look we've got something in common right and i feel mm-hmm. like there's this pull of trying to find commonality which can be supportive but also has this tipping edge of if that's all you're now doing, you know, is it, it can end up affecting our mental health in a big way.
0: And I think that piece that you just mentioned, Petra, is actually what we brought into COVID. I, I have, I've been really startled by what I feel is a, a general sense of, on the one hand, loneliness and an observed lack of empathy. And, but that was real before COVID and so what i feel it's just is heightened
1: right is that yeah, it's it, yeah.
0: heightened and it's actually revealing stuff yeah and and somehow it kind of reveals a dearth of meaningfulness in a lot of people's lives if you need to attach yourself to someone else's parents sickness and that's important to you wow
1: yeah 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 um and so it is it's collective but i love that you said that you know we've always we always have uncertainty there's mm-hmm. always something going on like people keep asking me in my webinar q and a's and stuff like how do we manage this uncertainty and i sort of go back to well this is a collective uncertainty but life is always uncertain mm. you never know if somebody's going to lose their lives or become ill or in a sense even though the fear factor is heightened so i really want to figure out like how can people bounce back in general that's the whole theme of the podcast is like how do we face up to whatever horrific things might be in front of us and they'll be different for everyone but I'm just curious about like your childhood like when you were younger do you, who instilled this curiosity in you were, were you in an environment that was just encouraging failure and bouncing back or was it something you had to learn through your own failures later on
0: well I, I wrote a blog post about 15 years ago saying thank you to six teachers I had. So my life goes extremely privileged uh, living. I was born in Belgium. Then we moved to France and then we moved to England. And then I get sent as a seven-year-old who just turned eight to boarding school, boarding school. Dun, dun, dun. Down in Dorset, England. Yes. And, uh, and the first two years were fairly miserable in that we had this sort of old fashioned system and the name of the headmaster was Haggard. Shut up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, corporal punishment was sure. full on.
1: Not much empathy for the no, separation zero. and uh, all of that.
0: And yet I had this history teacher who, who wore, he was a colonel in the British army and he had a, and a mustache and he would tell stories I just hung on every word. And 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 he and he was just so delightful. And he always had a pipe, and and I, it just it, I felt like I was immersed in a new world every time I had that forty-minute class with him down in Swanage, uh, Langton Matravers, and Dorset. And and then after uh, Haggard left, there's a new headmaster, and he was delightful. His wife was brilliant, and so I, I ended up patching together a series of an amazingly interesting teachers, and I went to another boarding school after the Old Vault House in Windsor, Berkshire. Um, and the uh, my head housemaster at Eton was a man called John Peak, and and he was a force of nature. He was a brilliant. He, he he was always positive about searching for stuff, and and the way he taught history, which is obviously one of my key topics in life is sure. that he would actually make us enact history. And so one rainy day, for example, he took us out on Dunfield Field and, um, and he made us reenact the, the, the defeat, the first ever defeat of a British square, which happened to be against the Zulus in South Africa. And so there we were running around in the mud. He was in welling boots and telling us, and, you know, you had to come in from here and, and lived that. And so I think these are these individuals who really drove me to be a more curious person.
1: I love that, that it often is just that handful of influences that maybe we didn't even fully recognize or appreciate at the time um, that then affects us in a big way. And, but, cause it's funny, I'm one of, of five siblings, well, one of ten, but one of five that I grew up with, I know. Um, and I'm probably the most, um, curious, driven, pushing, like always trying to find the next thing. And it doesn't feel like it was a very environmental factor other than moving so many times makes you adapt to change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but as you're probably aware, it has both pros and cons, right? Right. So, so you you know, can, who are you, right? You, well,
0: you're always moving. There's nothing staying.
1: Yes. And, ha- and, and I got very adept at um, effectively being who the other person needed me to be. So how do you adapt into their culture? How do you adapt into their world, speak their language and not be the different other, you know, who's t- talking in some kind of different way? Like so, a weirdo. Yeah, exactly. So now I can s- I have great appreciation for the work that I do in, you know, global companies and, you know, multicultural and I'm able to adapt. I'm able to be the, in the boardroom versus down on the front line, all that whole thing. But in relationships, I kept being somebody who they wanted me to be, you know, in those Mm. smaller friendship ways until you do end up questioning, who am I in the midst of all of this? Um, Now, I know you've written some amazing books and you've delved into some of these topics around um, bouncing back, empathy, giving back, those sorts of things, self-development in a way, leadership. Mm, Um, Talk us through, so you talked about some failed startups. Talk us through some of those fails. Like what were the moments that you were like, fuck this. I don't know if I can move forward. It's that kind of podcast. Well,
0: <laughs> there, there's nothing like open up. These are the feds at the door. Open up feds. Yeah. That's the federal police in America closing down your business. That is a very sour day. Who when was that? that Stark? That was, Oh, that's yeah. We were in debt up to our eyeballs. Uh, and um, so this was a travel agency for musicians and entertainers that had to pivot a few times. We uh, pivoted in foolishly, although meaningfully, into try to create a concert uh, to end apartheid in South Africa for 100,000 people. We had eight big stars line up and the British Musicians Union saw fit to blacklist our concert on which, uh, for which I had put down a twenty-five thousand dollar at that time, a lot of money deposit on the Johannesburg soccer stadium, out of my bank account, and so you know we're doing trying to do meaningful things, but clearly not uh, in the right way, not profitably, and with the wrong partner, because mm. uh, one of the partners um, saw fit to um, steal all our cash and um, and then all our clients, and then took a one-way ticket on our bank account. Uh, first class to um, out Asia. He also saw fit, which I never understood, uh, Petra, to take all my uh, Hermes ties. I had a hundred ties. I'd been a banker before that. That's
1: so Yeah we are. It sounds personal. It sounds personal.
0: <laughs> uh, well, it, it ultimately isn't a personal experience, right? Because sure. you know my name is attached to this, and and the uh, the uh, liabilities were attached to me and my other uh, co partner. And anyway, so at that point. Uh, deep rock bottom. And the issue is going back and begging for money to pay off some of the debtors and the humiliation that that included. So I went from being a banker in New York before that, which is how I had the money to invest in this company. Yeah. Then to go back to Philadelphia where my mom lived um, and was getting remarried and uh, had to live in in, in, a, in, her, in a room in her place. And I, I loved her welcoming me back Yet um, I also had to take a temp job, so I was a temp at the Philadelphia Zoo, and so I was a secretary. I became a temp secretary, and that's how I had to start bouncing back. And so that's a very different environment. And
1: I mean, and it's not so much the external of what the environment is. I mean, we can see the horrific shift, but but it's something in the the, the pride of it, the status, the the ego, even. Um, the success the story you love telling stories the story that you get to tell to other people who are like oh yes how wonderful you know and the feeling that that gives us and so like the especially for men I think but I I, I find myself I'm I'm described as often quite masculine so I relate to it 100% like my work is my identity it's like I put everything into it and it's like part of me and I want to provide and I want you know all that kind of stuff well, um, when
0: you go from when you go from being, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I've started this company, and we're traveling. Yeah. You have uh, Madonna, Sting, Hunter, S. Thompson, you know, and Lady da stuff, and then all of a sudden, what do you do? Oh, I'm a temp. Oh, really? I've got nothing. Yeah, yeah. Who really? That's what you do. Oh, oh. Mm.
1: People the do guy, have a there. reaction as well, oh, God, don't you know,
0: they? For sure. And as you say, I think men, you know, will in general attach more importance to the external, extrinsic factors i mean i studied women's studies at yale Mm -hmm. that was my minor at yale and it was probably the most interesting thing that i could have ever studied in fact i i afterwards i used to promote it not in a woke manner but in for men to say this is actually what you need to do because women generally study us a lot better than we study ourselves much less the other side or diversity Mm -hmm. anyway women's studies 1985 crazy time
1: yeah, absolutely. Wait, I, now I want to know like what you discovered. What did you learn about women that has actually impacted your behavior towards well, women?
0: A, a lot. Okay. Yeah? Because, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I took 12 courses in it. And, and so there's there are many things like the politics of touch and how that goes down differently and much more observant about how women are with women and how men are with women and then uh, the interface between men and women. and um, And so, gosh, my language my uh, understanding of, of minority. Um, when you spend 12 classes being the only man in a group of 15 to 20 women, you, you end oh, up yeah. saying, well, you know, what do you think? Whoa.
1: Yeah. Heavy, it's like you're you know. speaking for all men everywhere.
0: Right. And if you go back to like a board where there's one woman and, and 12 angry men, how, yeah. you know, what do you think? Well, there's a weight on a woman's shoulders because she feels responsible. Oftentimes, for representing other women on that board, even though they're not there. I mean, of course, that's not always true, but there is that notion of, you yeah. know,
1: <laughs> yeah, what, what do you think, Chick?
0: You know, and that's sort of the men will make that feel happen to women. So I've yeah. observed that being a white male, I was on many boards and, and, and as at L'Oreal, even though we were selling to women through the time that I was there, only 7% of the senior managers were women at L'Oreal, even though 96% of the revenues were through a woman's wallet.
1: Incredible. That's incredible. And I feel like we could spend the whole podcast on a, bit of a feminist rant, but let's, let's circle back. Let's circle back. Um, I know there's been some other things as well. So you've been impacted by 9-11 and by several different terrorist attacks and lost friends. Tell us a little bit just about the impact on you during that time.
0: All right. So I think the, just the quick context is, you know, I'm basically a privileged white male, lots of really interesting experiences, explored the world, loved languages, and it all could look very rosy. Sure. And uh, then I was on a sort of fast track at L'Oreal. I, at the age of 33, I became head of a, a brand for them worldwide, and that's kind of young to have that kind of responsibility, $400 million. Yeah.
1: And,
0: um, and, then, uh, and I'm loving it. And I felt like, oh, this is actually a company where I don't feel like I'm working. Uh, the The people i 'm working with i i i'm it's just it it melds and it feels me and and that was a real awakening i hadn't had that real experience before mm-hmm. and then i'm I had this head office it was corner office beautiful office overlooking Fifth avenue in manhattan and uh, one morning i i I look over to my right and poof, i see this big explosion but I, I didn't i didn't think it was big yet because it was quite far away I was five miles away
1: okay and, uh, but you're said, right there in the city
0: oh yeah and i had a direct line on it and uh, i call in my assistant marianne and, Mar- marianne and she comes in and and uh, she said oh there's been a terrorist attack what do you mean that's a terrorist attack this is like that right
1: yeah yeah, yeah. i
0: was like oh my gosh yeah we so i was here and i was there in 1993 that's what this is I was floored. Anyway, that then sparked a whole series of things. Uh, first of all, my office was actually only one of the offices in the entire building. It was about 50, built, 50 floors, had a view on the, the towers. And so my room was constantly in and out. But in between the first attack and the second South Tower, I was alone in my office again. So I called up Paris because you know, I, had, I had a big, big meeting in Paris coming up and we were all worried about stressed about that. And I called up Paris, and I, and I turned around as I was speaking. So you like this big swinging dick in the big office, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, da, 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 and in French. And then all of a sudden, I say, "Well, I, I'm gonna have to call you back." I put the phone down, and I look back out, and I see a plane flying down. I am like, saw the, You saw it. I like, was that doing. And I thought for sure this plane was like a security plane, or or maybe what they these these they have Canada airplanes that jump, dump water from them. Yeah. Anyway, all
1: right, to stop the- It
0: didn't do that. It it turned around and, and went in for the south tower, and then all of a sudden, it kind of m- my floor fell off. And and I'm as I'm going through this and I'm thinking about the people who are in the building because I had many friends who were in, the, of course, and four who didn't make it out. And I'm thinking about my grandfather's experience because he was captain of a ship in the Second World War when he discovered that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. And and not only did that change his life that day, he ends up losing his life as a result. And and I was like, whoa, this is my moment. And and I, I really felt like from now on, I've got to do what's important and meaningful in life. And so you can't do that 100%. But that was really a stretch on moment for me to say, all right, I'm selling soaps and suds, making people's hair beautiful and clean. But it's got to be more than that.
1: So. I'm going to. So you're saying it was a switch like that? Um, the, the,
0: yes, but not not everything. Right. So there was a moment like aha, all right? Yeah. This is my time. I've got to step up. I'm captain yep. of the boat. I'm you know this ship Your is. Yeah. yeah. I felt like all well, I was running this company, and so I, sure. I did feel like I, I was beholden to my team, my clients, my distributors, and all this, and and then and it's not like overnight I did anything right away, but things no. worked out that way. I mean. <laughs> I mean, for 10 years, I'd been holding on to a story that I wasn't able to tell my father. And the story was who was his father and who was his mother. I was named after his father. And for 10 years, I had been researching the life of his father and mother who both died before I was born. The father who was killed in the Second World War. And and so... I, I, re- I, I talked to 130 veterans of the Second World War, people who knew my grandparents. I got their story, and yet I couldn't tell my father. Turns out my father and I at that point were not particularly close, but he came come to visit me in Manhattan on the 10th of September, 2001. And on the 10th of September, we had a lovely dinner. My wife prepared beautiful French food, and we talked about the Yankees, the beautiful fall weather, how business was going, the big meeting I was doing in Paris, and not a thing about the 300-page manuscript that I'd written about his parents. Yeah. And the stories, the love letters, the everything. And then, then the next day happens, his plane's cancelled, and he comes back for dinner. And that night, I just launch into him, and I tell him, you know, over five hours, everything I discovered about his, his parents. And he started to cry for the first time in my life I'd seen my father cry.
1: And I know that the kind of, I'm imagining the chain of white male privilege where men don't show weakness. That's right.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it started me on on a path to allow myself to cry more often, but I'm still not good at that. But I certainly developed that as that went through.
1: What did it feel like to have your father sort of show emotion and off the back of your
0: research? Well, to be truthful, the first point is a little bit of rejection. I rejected it. Okay. I didn't, I I was not accommodating. I was, I was more like in my mode of gotta tell him this story, you know, because who knows what's going to happen. Well, also who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? We could all die. So there's an, almost an element of fear. And, you know, back to your comment a little bit before about we attach importance to this when it's a distant thing and you know, how people in Minneapolis or where God knows where else were also feeling worried. Well, it certainly felt more real to me. And yet I you know, didn't have a spouse, so I lost. But I did have friends who were lost. And so then I was talking with their spouses. So that I was quite close, but not the first line, because there's a difference between.
1: Well, there is, but there's still, as we're seeing in certain cities with how lockdown is, is occurring, there is this collective fear in the energy. Right, and right. it's so palpable. I mean, I was in Kenya during 9-11, and mm. it's a part Muslim, part um, Christian and so the the energy of like violence could break out or this kind of what's going to happen kind of um affect uh just in the energetic field was so profound and and i think there's something similar happening now which is we we feel it and so yes i get that you're one step removed but you're in the city you're in the epicenter right which is where the heightened fear but also the collective humanity like all of that would have been so much more high. i already felt heightened even where i was it felt heightened in so many places um but it's a real visceral, you know, uh, reflection. And in a way you had that moment of reflection mm-hmm. and then it starts showing up in your actions. Even if you, maybe you didn't like in hindsight, we can go, you That's know, exactly. you know rewriting I history. To, Yeah, I needed to be me. I needed to say the stuff I needed to show mm-hmm. up, like fuck mm-hmm. everything. Like what's, what's the point of life if I don't show up and be who I need to be or say what I need to say. So what was the gradual process? Because I know that you're, you're authentic and show up and you teach empathy and your books are on it. And you know, you've obviously gone on some kind of journey that allows you now to give back on a global stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of those journeys from being a guy who probably didn't show much emotion to mm-hmm. one who needed to change his life in that moment? Mm-hmm. What were those gradual kind of points?
0: Well, a lot of them are, I would say, Petra, with hindsight more of of easy course. to write because for example so I'm running Redkin this hair care company yeah and I'm just loving it and our mission was earn a better living live a better life and it finally dawned on me the power of the second portion of that phrase and 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 the reason why that's relevant is that a we we always were that but there was like a woo now this is real and and how did that come alive for our team and we actually because we're in l'oreal so there are 38 different companies brands and they're all systematized with synergies and back office this and that and human resource policies so how if 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 i want to make my team live a better life how do i do that inside a large organization that doesn't necessarily subscribe to that mission and and so i i really pummeled down into that and then i was sent to canada Mm-hmm. to run the subsidiary up there. And the challenge there is I'm no longer one brand. I'm multiple brands. And I, and I kind of felt a disconnect uh, because it's, it's hard to belong to everybody. And in fact, it's impossible to feel a part, you know, belongingness to everybody. That's true. And, and it, within the story of empathy, the interesting thing here is, to what extent can you allow yourself to be part of a tribe? Because it sounds exclusionary, especially when you use the word tribal. And, and the way we use these words, it, it, it feels exclusionary. So I was getting to this point where, actually, I don't need to please everybody anymore.
1: And that's a really profound thing when you actually reflect in the face of death, so to speak, or being yeah. impacted by it. And I think many people are reflecting on that now. It's like, right. well, how am I spending my time? It's my my one life, the time that I have being spent on impressing other people, spending time with giving, like, like doing all these things for other people. And actually, what's the life that I was put on this earth for? So it sounds like there was a powerful but slow process of discovery during that time.
0: And part of it was also sort of not being able to do what I wanted to do and, sure. and feeling the constraints and fighting against that. And then what, what did that look like? And how far did I want to go off the deep end? Because you know, most of the time, I stayed on the side and didn't go off on the plank. And that plank of going into doing what's the only thing that counts. And and my point at the beginning was about this meaningfulness, is that we've, I feel like we, we're, there's a lot of lack of meaningfulness in our lives. And And now we have this time, weird and collective, for self in inspection respect you know reflection yeah and introspection and, yeah, yeah and what what are we doing one time on this earth so what about what is it that we can do that matters and and the key point and when i say i like to elevate the debate is to move away from the fear side into the hopeful side maybe love side if we want to be a little bit more hippie-like. Because, sure. by the way, I didn't tell you who the band was. I was sure you were going to ask me, what band would that now
1: be? Now you have to say.
0: Well, I do. Just to, <laughs> you know, satiate people's curiosity. Oh, They're right. a band from San Francisco uh, that was born in 1966. The name was The Warlocks in, in the first ah. instance, but then they became The Grateful Dead. And and it's that. not un- insignificant because I think in, in both in 9-11 and this period, you mentioned it, we're up against death. Yeah. And the Grateful Dead is their philosophy, which I didn't understand right away, yeah. is, is once you accept that we will die, which, by the way, we is will, the case.
1: Regardless of then COVID or anything.
0: Once you get through that, you can actually release yourself more for more enjoyment, which can include enjoying little things and, and silly things and yeah, light things. Just letting go. Right. Where I'm focusing the story, though, is to try to do more meaningful things. Because, you know, let's say jerking off. right? Maybe it feels good, but it's kind of light. Let's go with bigger things. Do things for other people. Be more meaningful in your existence so that when you end, you can say, I contributed.
1: So what brings you the most meaning? What have you discovered for yourself that gives you, because I think it is different for everyone. I think there's some core principles around contribution, connection, being your full self, but that somebody could feel that running a fish and chip shop. And be like, this is my, you know, I'm feeding my family and I'm showing up and I bring light and, you know, to my customers, like that could be their thing. Right. And for, for me, it's like writing and being on big stages and podcasting and and sharing um, a message and feeling like I'm there for people. Right. So what's it for you?
0: So on balance, it's uh, about making people frown, Um, but not frown at me, but frown somehow internally, Uh, something shifts. And so I my shift the gear shift is maybe down into a third to go back into fifth by mm-hmm. a fourth and so I, I don't mind that little downshift and that's what I try of to do point. The kind that's of... it. you know whoa. and then yeah I, and, and then and then rev up because what I want to do is speed up I want to elevate the debate after I make the change so and you question... believe
1: more than anyone that a catalyst moment of like um, can sh- shake people maybe out of their habit sense and wake them up to the possibilities of who they're really meant to be.
0: Absolutely. And actually my new book, which is coming out on leadership, I, I talk specifically about this issue, which is that I've observed that most people who are on this little bandwagon or, you know, maybe a big bandwagon of meaningfulness and purpose yeah. in business have had a life-changing experience, yes. have had lost someone loved, have uh, have had a crimped, Life or health uh, for themselves, uh, and I consider having type one diabetes my sort of biggest signal of of my uh, mortality and in dealing with everything I imbibe with an injection there's definitely a feeling of of reality to that for me, but my my injunction in the book um, is why wait to have a life changing experience to move along right and do it younger when you 've got more force and energy and think that you're immutable, invincible, and that the world is only for you. So that's what I'm trying to do. But So I'm explaining my issues and my life-changing events. And, and the observation is that that's typically how it moves. But it's so fascinating and powerful to be here where I am. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to convey that energy and that, the zeitgeist of being meaningful and how that's cool to people who haven't got it without needing the life-changing experience.
1: And how effective do you think that is? Do you think somebody can get it? And I know not everyone will. And sometimes we are the seed that's being planted. We're yeah. one of those six teachers, you know, that is yeah. having an impact so that yeah. when the, the the life will happen, once, and it can be different variations of a level of like how bad it could be. And we were talking mm. earlier about not comparing trauma, right? Like right. everyone's yeah. catalyst point can be a different sort of level. Mm. Um, But do you think it's possible for, because I didn't, I didn't wake up until I was dying, until I might've killed my kids until I was like, so at rock bottom that I was like, I cannot keep, like the pain was too much. I cannot keep living like this. I either need to to like suck it up and die and take my life or I need to find another way. That's how stark it was for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think it's possible for someone to listen to us and go, Mm -hmm all right. They, like, I get it. Like before- some things
0: happen. Well, so I, I'm, I'm conjuring up another book for next year. And, um, so uh, I am a fan of psychedelics and, um, and it's awfully hard to explain somebody, uh, what it's like to trip who hasn't. Yeah. You you can give words, you can show woolly, woolly, woo yeah, yeah. imagery. <laughs>
1: Make <sounds. laughs> Um,
0: exactly. Um, you can describe it all you want until you're blue in the face. I suppose it's sort of like trying to explain an orgasm until you've had one. There there are certain things which sort of you need to experience and, and somehow that experience, which is what forms us, I mean, that's, we're structured by our experiences. Those are the most powerful changes. My hope is that by telling stories, which are a proxy for living someone else's experience becomes a little seed that down the road, With other connections, because it won't be this conversation, but it'll be, well, well, this is the fifth time I've heard this story, this shit, there's something here. It's not Minter, but it's the combination of things. And then people are ready for it or not. Because if you're not open to listening and connecting in and and being present as we're listening right now, then it's probably going to fly over your head. And you're going to miss the birds that are chirping outside.
1: Yeah, but even if you have the catalyst moment, you have the wake up point, and then things start to shift, there is still a journey of commitment to growth Mm -hmm. and being open and learning that everything's a challenge and consistently um, educating yourself, experiencing new Mm -hmm. perspectives and Mm -hmm. putting effort in because you can go like this, right? You right. can do the like catalyst yeah. moment. Oh, wake great. up. Oh, now things are a bit better. Comfort, peace. Yeah. Let's watch yeah. Netflix. Everything's fine, right? It's the Rather, gym, it's
0: the gym uh, uh, membership.
1: Absolutely. Exactly. You go a little bit and then you're still paying for it, but you're, you know, um, mm-hmm. until the next thing happens, right? Yeah. But I, I guess if enough things happen, like I'm just in this honest this path that's about commitment to growth in some way in order to effectively turn... Every, and, and I was telling you before, COVID-19... I'm a bit like sitting back, sort of observing people going, this is interesting. And and people being on the phone, like freaking the fuck out that Mm -hmm. everything, and I'm just like, huh, but life was uncertain before. I don't know why Mm -hmm. anyone's surprised, you know?
0: Well, I think, you know, you and and I, like in different ways, have had certain experiences that provides a little bit of perspective. I, you know, I, I mentioned that I was in, I've been within proximity of nine different terrorist attacks and had multiple friends die in them. And, and and when you've done that, and the 130 veterans who went through those POW experiences, which, by the way, lots of Dutch did and English and many other countries did, uh, the Japanese prison camps, it's like, oh, well, that's fucked. Okay. So what's bad about my life right now? And and having some perspective on that has been Total. extremely helpful. And But your point is that, you know, you, you don't just, it's not an overnight switch, as I said, but you, you, Strength, strongly bring back the notion of how to get there. And, and I certainly didn't go on the path right away. And that, that plank was out there and, and I wasn't always prepared to, to pay the price to go out and, and, and do things. And then little by little, I, I started getting more comfortable with the idea of being a little bit more messianic in what I'm saying. And I also think that being public about it is a key thing. So it's sort of like, you know, I'm planning to lose 10 pounds. And you, and you type publish on Facebook. Well, it turns out that there's a much high I don't remember the number, but there's a much higher likelihood that you'll lose those 10 pounds if you hit publish and public. Accountability, right? Yeah. yeah. It's some self-accountability. Imagined responsibility to somebody else now that I published it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So talk us through, because uh, we haven't got that much time left. I feel like we could talk all day. But um, what are some of the habits and practices that you try and put in place? I know there's quite a range for you maybe um, the, the, the key ones that have, have supported you through difficult times and allow you to stay in that mindset that we're talking about of changing perspective and being ready for things?
0: All right. So the first thing is uh, gaining permission. So that's with yourself and with my wife. I've been married for 25 years. And, and, uh, and these moments of selfishness where I'm going to indulge myself to take care of me. And we, um, and and she's extremely indulgent of that. Uh, She's independent. I'm extremely independent individual. So first point. Secondly is I I have a quite a disciplined approach. So I I like to get up early because I want to make sure that every day I do something important. So I tend to get up early, uh, even if I'm tired and I write. How early is early? Well, it depends. But let's say before the day. Yeah, I've five five thirty that sort of zone. Okay. And then I write until everybody's up at eight and then I join them for coffee. Uh, and then I continue writing. So I, I know that in that space, I've done stuff, something important has been done. And that's what's most important. Fill the big rocks first. And so you avoid the little little shit that gets in the way. Anyway, afterwards, um, I, I I'm very athletic. I, I and I'm still able to be, even though surgeries all over the place. So I, I I walk one and a half hours a day. I listen to about one hour of music, usually while I'm walking, along with podcasts. Sure. I I I read voraciously, uh, both books, online, whatever. It doesn't matter. Of course, I write. And then I have the creative space. And so while I I say I've been playing guitar since I was 16 years old, so I'm a decent guitar player and I have a reasonable voice even though sometimes my, my children think I just not that good. So oh, I've,
1: kids will always think Well, you know, but they're right. No, but they're, and they're right. I don't have
0: a brilliant voice. I have a, I have a decent voice. Um, but the point is I have creative outlets. And uh, so every day I play for half an hour guitar uh, and I sing and I sing my heart out and uh, a little bit like I'm in the shower, hopefully a little bit better. But yeah. So that, those are it's the general the release and Ma- the Make sure I get creativity and music in there. So I, it's amazing in COVID how, and I, in my newsletter, I talk about how we've had a release of creativity and and stars the Berlin Ballet did the Beethoven seventh uh with each one in their own room um it's absolutely fascinating to see how the creativity and I think creativity is such an important human quality so I want to tap into that side of it as well
1: that's such a host of things do you ever have a bad day
0: I do. Yeah, okay. sure. Well, so first of all, I sleep is a big, big deal and I'm not a good sleeper. And so okay. I, I, um, if I don't sleep well, I'm cranky and that's not good. Uh, and I, and I just don't feel good in my body. And if I, if I have not slept well, I often feel like I can get injured when I do sports because I still play high, high intensity, high impact, uh, like tennis, for example, or paddle tennis. Yeah, so I have my bad days typically around sleep, and why am I sleeping badly? Well, I'm thinking too much. I'm yeah. worried about other stuff, yeah. and uh, so I, I actually the other stuff subject I studied at Yale was sleep, and uh, and I think that that was back in the '80s. At the time, was, you know, like you know embryonic study, but I've learned a lot. But it's not because I know a lot. Just like my book empathy. Here's another thing: I wrote a book about empathy. You would have thought I would know everything about empathy, but it certainly doesn't mean I'm capable of being empathic all the time. Yeah,
1: it's funny that because we can get the theory just right, but it's the experience is a lifelong journey of vulnerability, connection, putting ourselves out there. Um, We are coming to close to the end of our time. So before I ask my final question and get your perspective on something, let people know where they can find you, where can they find your books, if they want to work with you, where are you?
0: well i'm i'm, I'm everywhere
1: yeah, I'm everywhere
0: I'm <laughs> well i have I have the benefit of a, a weird name so mentor yeah. dial.com um kind of own that space uh, and m dial on twitter on on my site you can find my books um so there are three one is the Lost ring home future proof and artificial empathy and I really love it if if people would like to take 30 minutes out of the day to take a look at my documentary film. It's BOD, it's like a pound uh, 50 or something like that, on iTunes and YouTube and Amazon. Um, And it's a documentary about my grandfather, Second World War, and it's all about love, courage, and honor. And I think we could do with a lot more of that in today's world.
1: We bloody could, which nicely leads into my final question. What do you think is a perspective that people can try on during these challenging times, and, and I'm going to just assume that yes. some of the people who are um, amidst fear, panic, mm-hmm. perhaps losing income, perhaps thinking that this is their rock bottom point, like what's a way that they could switch up their perspective, if any?
0: Well, I I tend to orient that answer oh, around finding your purpose, finding your north star, your own personal one, and doing the exercise of thinking what's important for you dig down, and then latch onto that. And then every day, make sure you're doing things that have it. It's not about doing it all the time. Uh, So my north is about elevating, connecting people and dots uh, and elevating the debate. And so I want to make sure that every day I do that. And so how do I actually do that? I have a green person every day in my agenda, even these days. And the green person in my agenda is to meet somebody new. I want to connect. Uh, with people and ideas and things and dots. And and then when I'm engaging with them, I want to make sure I'm elevating the base. So I have a green uh, rendezvous in my agenda. It's colored that way. So you can, I can see and I'm accountable to that, to myself, how I'm doing a little something every day that fits in with my north.
1: I love that so much. And I think what I'll leave people with is reflect for themselves on what that north is for them. So what are those key elements that just make your heart sing make you feel like you're contributing whatever it might be that's your purpose and value and it's it's not rocket science but it can be so hard when we're in the routine of life and routine in a way has been disrupted so now more than ever it's a great time to just reflect back take a step back and think what are my things and how can I get creative at the moment right and truly uh put them into my calendar and my day and you'll look back and your life will change Venture, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to read your books. Appreciate you coming on.
0: My great pleasure, Petra. Thank you.